So a little bit of a different episode today. Uh, yes. No jokey cold open. No. It would be, I feel like, wildly inappropriate yeah. in this context. Bruce, do you want to give our listeners a little background in what we're talking about today? So we're really honored to have on um, Brandon Lee and uh, and Rhonda Romero. Um, some of you might know uh, Brandon Lee's name from it was a, it was a pretty big story a couple of years ago. In fact, almost exactly a couple of years ago, uh, August sixth of twenty nineteen, um, Brandon was shot by unknown assailants in, uh, in in the Philippines where he was working. Um, you know, with 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 the peasant movement there. Um, and so just, you know, just to give a little context that I, I know Brandon, uh, and, and, and Rhonda from, from outside the show. Um, and, uh, and you know, it was, it was a pretty big deal at the time. And we, you know, we, and we talk about it in the episode and everything like that. Um, but, uh, but I think in, just in the context of this show, uh, you know, Brandon was, you know, to put it totally unadorned, uh, the first, uh, American citizen targeted for, for, for assassination by the Duterte government, um, since, since it took power, not the first American citizen targeted by the, uh, by the government of the Philippines in the, you know, the past 50 years, but, but, uh, in the modern era, 100% the first, um, and, uh, yeah, it is a, it was, it was a real honor for us to have him on. And to, I, I feel like, uh, I feel like it was a, a pretty affecting interview. Yeah, it's difficult to say, but definitely very important. So I think we should just get into it. like to start our episodes off talking about any sort of foreign policy issues or anything like that with saying the one word I know from any language whatsoever associated with what we're talking about. The single word I know is uh, Mabuhai. So Mabuhai, ladies and gentlemen, uh, <laughs> welcome to our interview for the day. We have with us here uh, Rhonda Ramiro, the chair of Bayan USA, and Brandon Lee of the International Committee on Human Rights in the Philippines, San Francisco chapter uh, pleasure to have you guys here. How you doing? It's good to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Um, so, Brandon, uh, I think we'll probably have explained a little bit about this in uh, in the intro, but uh, just to, to to give a little background, um, Brandon was uh, the the first and so far I, I hope only person who was uh, targeted for assassination by the uh, Duterte regime for his uh, for his political activities in the country and uh, and and for his activism work there. Um, and Brandon, I just wanted to first start off by asking you, uh, what, what was sort of the spark that made you get involved in Filipino issues? What made you interested in this? What made you go over there? In 2001, when the U.S. invaded Afghanistan, I joined an anti-war protest here in San Francisco. There I went through the crowd and was attracted to a sea of red shirts. Many of the shirts had the slogan, Serve the People. It was the Bayan USA Alliance of Filipino workers, students, and women who were leading a lively contingent that brought together other people of color communities that drew my attention. At the time, the Philippines was declared the second front in the war on terror, and the Filipino groups mobilized with other people of the global south 
to have a unified anti-war and anti-imperialist stance against the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan. Um, so um, it's really good to hear you um, talk about that moment, Brandon. I remember it clearly also. Uh, and of course, you know, I was there and it's pretty timely that we're talking about the connections between the U.S. war in Afghanistan and the legacy of war and colonization in the Philippines, you know, at this moment where we're seeing um, what's unfolding in Afghanistan. So 20 years ago, when Brandon and um, Brandon met us at the anti-war protest, Bayan USA was drawing those connections between the U.S. going to war to secure geopolitical uh, interests at the detriment of people, you know, in Afghanistan. For Afghanistan, at that time, it was under the guise of the war on terror. It was about securing uh, important trade routes, natural resources, a place for the U.S. to practice and perfect its war tactics and technology. Mm-hmm. And it's really not not unlike what was happening in 1898 when the Philippine-American mm-hmm. War was happening, when essentially the U.S. was going about uh, its first, you know, colonial, one of its first colonial projects. It was that history of um, colonization, uh, going abroad to secure uh, islands with geopolitical interest, uh, natural resources for extraction, and, you know, people to exploit for for labor. Um, And, you know, since then, so over 100 years later, the U.S., um, you know, still dominates the Philippines. The Philippines is still a neo-colony of the U.S., and the U.S. is still has its hold on uh, our country for geopolitical interests. Today, the adversary is China. Um, and it's, you know, still about resource mm-hmm. extraction, geopolitical <laughs> positioning, um, exploitation of labor. And then, you know, I think uh, just to bring it, you know, up to date to Brandon's situation, uh, the support of uh, dictators like Duterte, who will uh, follow along with the U.S., plans um, for, you know, exploiting uh, the Philippines for U.S. interests and, you know, propping up puppet dictators that will go along with that. Um, And I think that, you know, really sets the stage for Brandon's story. Yeah, yeah. I I think something that, uh, that, that, you know, just to to locate the Philippines in the world. Um, you know, I, I, there's a lot. There's been a lot of talk lately, especially this past couple of weeks, on Afghanistan's closeness to China and sort of its place on the front lines against you know the both the 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 big menaces in the region, Iran and also China. You know, the U.S.'s uh, sort of foe, regional foes, or in the case of China, our global enemy. Um, but the Philippines basically shares that same position. It's just with the South China Sea, right? And that is like you know, obviously, if 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 you know, if you follow you know, international news, that is a big hotspot and a definitely a big uh, you know when people talk about war games and all this stuff, that always factors hugely into it. And so I think while a lot of people may see Duterte as like this guy who sort of like plays both sides, and to an extent that's true. I mean, the U.S. is also definitely trying to get him on the U.S.'s side too, because you know it's a. Uh, it's it's as important as anywhere that that surrounds China. I mean, they do the same thing with Vietnam, with you know, with India, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, and it's you know, right now, um, 
you know, in a couple of days, Vice President Kamala Harris is going to visit uh, Southeast Asia again. Uh, she's going to Vietnam. She's going to Singapore. She's going to reiterate the U.S. position on um, China and needing to secure its allies in the region. And so the Philippines has that same type of relationship where it's a longtime ally and the U.S. Uh, is going to try to, yeah, strengthen that um the allyship as much as possible as it gears up for and continues its rivalry with China. So um, it's not the, the um, jockeying <laughs> is not going away anytime soon. And U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, involvement and meddling in Philippine affairs is not going away uh, anytime soon either, you know, considering uh, the, the identification yeah. of China as the big menace. Yeah. Yeah. The State Department just approved that like $2 billion, $2.5 billion arms sale to the Philippines. And I'm sure that's, you know, coming with some guarantees that it's hoping for as well. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, Brandon, when you went over to the Philippines, what kind of work were you doing over there? Um, in Ifugao province, I initially helped organize professionals especially teachers and government employees, uh, to support the struggles of the indigenous peasants against development, aggression, militarization, and food insecurity. It was through the love of the indigenous people and the environment that I volunteered with the Ifugao peasant movement in their education and disaster relief programs for farmers in the province. I wrote about these struggles in the Northern Dispatch Weekly, an alternative newspaper serving the Cordillera region. I also helped organize the Justice and Peace Advocates, a church network which pushed the Philippine government and the National Democratic Front of the Philippines to address the Fugao people's issues and well-being. I also helped as the International Solidarity Liaison to seek support from various international networks and individuals for the Ifugao peasants. In 2014, William Bugatti, the previous human rights officer of the Ifugao peasant movement and a close friend was killed by suspected military agents after attending a court hearing for political prisoners. It was at that time that I volunteered to move to Ifugao and take up his role, of which I served until I was shot. So I, I think that there's a few things probably we need to talk ab- about here. One is that I think when people, um, at least this this was the case with me until until I learned about it. Um, I think people are surprised that other countries, especially other countries maybe with brown people in them, have indigenous people uh, that live there or indigenous communities there. Um, you know, I I, I, I I know that's the case in a lot, like, you know, India obviously has like an indigenous community of millions and millions of people. Uh, the Philippines does too. The Philippines has a huge, um, like, uh, I, I can't remember, someone had told me once, but they bunt a lot of different, uh, you know, ind- indigenous ethnic groups um, who are, uh, much like other places in Asia and throughout the world, uh, often um, politically uh, maybe not so well represented and, uh, and usually economically pretty poor and, and just overall not very powerful. Um, so, so what, uh, you know, can you tell us about this region, uh, Cordillera, what, what sort of 
why would there be any kind of um, you know resource extraction or, or any of this construction or this development there in the first place? And what were what were what were these groups doing to fight against it? So there was development aggression and violations of indigenous peoples' rights um, that persist in the Cordillera region. Their ancestral lands continue to be treated as resource-based for profit by the state, hand in glove with corporations of old and new uh, colonizers. Large-scale mining dams, energy, and other foreign projects are masqueraded as development at the expense of indigenous peoples, self-determination, and human rights. Indigenous communities are robbed of their life, land, culture, and worse, their future. Despite decades of people's resistance, the plunder of natural resources in ancestral domains continues. The region is blanketed with more than hundreds of large-scale mining applications, covering the majority of the Cordillera, and more than 100 hydropower and geothermal projects awarded to private corporations. One such project, energy project, is the Chevron Geothermal Power Project, covering 25,000 hectares, or which is roughly 62,000 acres, in Kalinga province. If left unchallenged and unopposed, all these could mean the ethnocide for the Igorots and the massive destruction of the ecosystems in the Cordillera region. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Brandon was in the northern part of the Philippines, uh, but you know, really there are many parts of the Philippines, north to south, and in the many different islands in the archipelago that have indigenous people who are trying to resist this kind of development aggression. Uh, sometimes it's at the level of where you've, we've seen Brandon, where you have targeted uh, assassination attempts on uh, indigenous leaders. But then in other parts, um, so for example, in the s- southern part of the Philippines in Mindanao, you even have um, carpet bombing, large-scale bombing and destruction of entire uh, villages and cities uh, by the Philippine military for the same reason, though. So, you know, I think a, a prime example was in 2017, uh, there was a, a city uh, called Marawi, uh, which was known mm-hmm. as, um, you know, one of the largest um, Islamic cities in the country uh, on the coast, um, a really important spot for the Philippine military, um, they, you know, they wanted to take it over. And, you know, it's also surrounded by indigenous people's lands, which were, um, uh, up, you know, being uh, contested for um, rich mineral resources. So what did the Philippine military do to, in order to be able to take over this location? It went in and under the guise of the war on terror and fighting ISIS, just bombed the city um, just to rubble mm. a city of you know nearly 400,000 people uh, and you know created this big refugee crisis uh, within the country and you know people you know to this day are still displaced very few have been able to move back um, and it was all done under the the guise of the war on terror um, you also have uh, the bombing uh, of villages in uh, the southern Philippines. You have the occupation of their towns by the military, occupation of homes and schools and um, even, you know, churches in some places, uh, all in uh, 
uh, locations where indigenous people are trying to defend their um, their forests, their um, their land, uh, which is used, uh, you know, they've had for for generations. Uh, but underneath that land are these mineral resources, or on top of the land are these rich, um, you know, considered lumber resources uh, for. Um, uh, corporations. Um, and then another major one is for a big agribusiness. Uh, I, the, when I was yeah. there two years ago, um, the, the, the land was being, um, raised and used for the planting of palm trees for, for palm oil for export. And if you've taken a, a look at mm. almost any product, lotion, shampoo to stuff in your cabinet in at home in your kitchen, there's palm oil in almost everything. Uh, and, you know, the Philippines is one of those places where um, indigenous land is being um, just taken over in order to build these multinational, um, uh, these, you know, uh, plantations for the benefit of multinationals. Um, so um, what Brandon is describing is um, really rampant throughout the country. Yeah, Ron, I, I, I had a question about that. Is the... Uh it seems it's like a twofold or maybe more than twofold sort of thing that they do is, is one, they identify these places where there are, are natural resources or resources to extract for these, these corporations. Uh, and then either they go in and kind of just like shunt the people aside because, you know, they're poor, you know, they, they don't really have any political power or anything like that. There's no way for them to fight back or they, um, you know, they, they create this like sort of specter of terrorism and that they, the army has to go into these areas and secure these areas, especially, you know, I, I, a lot of people I've talked to that, you know, worked in the Philippines talk about sort of the specter of ISIS that they created, that like there's this huge organization that is like ready to take over the Philippines and is going to create a, uh, a archipelago based, uh, <laughs> Islamic state too. Um, and so that, that requires, of course, I mean, it's ISIS. It requires, you know, the absolutely, um, most ferocious response from the Philippine military, uh, which to, I think a lot of people living in these areas is probably not much kinder to them than, than, than whatever ISIS there is, there is. Um, and so it seems like, yeah, like you're, you're, these sort of this like war on terror, uh, rhetoric, uh, and, and, and actions actually, uh, basically dovetail perfectly with these these multinational and and some national interest in, in extracting these uh, these resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. We see it uh, happen all the time, and so it, they use the justification of needing to uh, secure the people from ISIS uh, to go in, and then after the so called security has happened, once they've gotten rid of anybody who was resisting, once they've been able, the military has been able to secure the land, here come the corporations or the huge landlords um, uh, to take over the land that was once um, indigenous people's land. So it's a, a pattern that we see throughout the country. And, um, you know, I, I suspect that this is also common to other places where you have indigenous people trying to defend their land and their water uh, from multinational interests. So, Brennan, the the government of the Philippines named you an enemy of the state in 2015. Um, 
which, uh, which I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you would, would, would freak me out. Um, although you, you still stayed there. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not trying to get a, named an enemy of state by anybody that scares the shit out of me. Uh, were you, were you afraid after that? I mean, you're telling me that the person you replaced in, in the, uh, you know, in, in the group you were in had just been assassinated. Um, you know, obviously, the uh, the murder of activists, especially in rural areas, uh, has has really ratcheted up in recent years. Um, why did the government name you an enemy of the state? And like, how did how did you feel after that? Were you afraid? Were you you know what what did you, do? You have to watch your back more. The Philippine government, through its military arm, the armed forces of the Philippines, specifically the 86th Infantry Battalion, most likely branded me and my colleagues as. Communist Party of the Philippines and New People's Army supporters because we sided with the people against corporate interests. When the 54th Infantry Battalion replaced the 86th Infantry Battalion, the types of harassments worsened. My colleagues and I were afraid when state military executed my friend William Bugatti in 2014. William had just celebrated openly in court when the judge caught one of the military witnesses lying. It was nearly 6 p.m. when William drove his motorcycle home. Five minutes before he reached his house, he was gunned down by two men on a motorcycle. And of course, um, my colleagues and I were afraid, but we knew if we didn't do anything to help, things will get worse for the people. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's something that, that I think might um, maybe not surprise some, some, some listeners, but, uh, but the fact that the, the military is so overtly involved in what you might term political affairs. I mean, using the, the specter of the communist party, uh, you know, and the new people's army as, as sort of like a, a, um, you know, if you if you if they brand someone a leftist or a leftist sympathizer, they can they can easily say, well, you're a terrorist sympathizer because the largest force on the left here is is you know this terrorist group, the New People's Army, um, and uh, that that to me is just I mean that that that's what makes it so much more insidious too because I, that that's something I wanted to bring up and and Rhonda I wanted to ask you about because I know that uh, that that Bion and and you know associated organizations have done a lot of work on this, but like. You know there are there are a couple of pretty um, notorious tactics that are used by the Philippine government um, against activists or against, I mean, pretty much anybody they want to. And and one of those is is called red tagging. And I was going to ask you if you could kind of explain to our audience what red tagging is, um, because that that seems you know pertinent to to what happened here. Sure. So red tagging, like you said, is a really common tactic that the Philippine government uses to paint their enemies or anybody really who has a different opinion uh, than the president of the Philippines right now as enemies of the state, as reds, as communists. And because the Communist Party of the Philippines, the New People's Army, are uh, considered terrorist organizations, according to the Philippine government, and even the U.S. government has designated them as foreign terrorist organizations, um, thereby, if you are Red, if you're a member of the Communist Party of the Philippines, then you are a terrorist. Uh, and they um, use this as a blanket term to describe anyone who espouses politics that, um, you know, are about 
fighting for the rights of people to their land, fighting for the rights of workers to a living wage, you know, fighting for the rights of um, students to be able to have quality education, uh, fighting for the rights of people to have quality health care. I mean, all these things, which should really be basic for all people, could be um, viewed, you know, by the government, the government which fails to provide any of those things for its people, and in fact is uh, um, doing everything possible to keep people uh, at poverty level so that the elite can be richer. Um, they, you know, use that as a, a reason to t- tag you as a communist and therefore a terrorist. Uh, and so if you're considered a terrorist, then uh, the government has the right to put you in jail, to shoot, to kill. Um, that's another uh, thing that they have um, proven that they mm-hmm. you know, think they're justified in doing. If you're a so-called terrorist, then you don't have a, a right to any kind of due process. Um, and there's shoot to kill orders. There's there's plenty of instances of um, yeah uh, anything from being jailed on trumped up charges to you know outright extrajudicial killing of people just for being tagged um, uh, as a red or as a terrorist. So I hope that explains a little bit about what this tactic is and what it can lead to. And this is done via the the big anti-terror law, right? I mean, because this this got a lot of like, I, I mean, got a decent amount of global coverage actually when it was passed because of how broad strokes um, it was. Um, it really is like it, it really blurs the line between what's like extrajudicial and what's not because of how um, broadly it can be interpreted how how easily someone can be branded a terrorist and these laws can be used against them like you said just for um defending uh right to education or or you know access to healthcare or or, or what have you right yeah i mean and the thing is that the tactic has been uh used for many many years um you know it was used against brandon mm-hmm. uh but the anti-terror law which was pa- passed last year um expanded that authority um and you know like you said it just kind of opened the door to uh even uh further uh demonization of critics of the government um and it also expanded it such that um there could be um use of this anti-terror law against philippine nationals anywhere. Um, So not even just within the borders of the Philippines, but Mm -hmm. abroad. Um, And so that's, you know, one of the things that uh, got a lot of people um, enraged about the passage of the law, that it could, you know, actually expand even further than Philippine soil, uh, and that it can be used to, yeah, just uh, paint anybody as uh, a terrorist. Yeah, I mean, one one thing too is that 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 reading through these reports, which we'll, which we'll link in the uh, in the description here of the uh, uh, from the Investigate Philippines Commission. Um, I mean, what some of the things that they that that they, they do with this red tagging stuff is they'll like print out a poster of you calling you a communist or calling you like terrorist, and like put them up at the supermarket. So like, listeners, like think about this: like if somebody you know it, it, you lived in a place where you know it's uh, extrajudicial assassinations are 
basically legalized at this point, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you you know are, you're known to be a supporter of of whatever organization. And then every time you go to the grocery store, there's like a poster or like a banner with your name on it. Sometimes your address on it, your phone number on it, branding you a terrorist in a place where basically anybody could come up to you and 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 and, and you know assault you or, or kill you and and you know have a good chance of getting away with it. I mean, it is it is it's like a it's like a legalized lynch mob sort of thing. And that that's what these that's what these posters are for. I mean, they're they're basically to incite this kind of violence. There's there's essentially no other reason for them. You know, another thing too is that the I, I don't even know how to pronounce this, but the tokang where they can basically I, it's it's you know, maybe too long to get into here, but it's it's essentially warrantless um visits by the police uh to try to talk you out of your political beliefs. And and you know, a lot of this stuff um uh, you know, originally that was supposed to be about the war on drugs, the uh, which which was another excuse to basically extrajudicially murder people. Um, where they come to your house and try to talk you out of selling drugs, um, and usually end up just shooting you. Uh, so it it yeah it it's 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 kind of crazy. I mean, it's it's really some wild west sort of stuff. Like it's 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 essentially legalized lynching. That's right. Um, I know just walking around in the Philippines, I don't know how many times I've seen billboard-sized banners or billboards themselves with the faces of people I know, of people who are um, representatives of Bayan in the Philippines or of um, trade unions and you know uh, farmers' organizations. Um, their faces plastered on there, just like Brace said, with, you know, terrorists on there and then there's uh sometimes there's a reward you know for turning these people Mm -hmm. in or it's just you know warning people that these people are considered terrorists by the government and um it yeah it can lead to uh, arrests it can lead to um uh extrajudicial killings and attempted assassination attempts like um uh what happened to brandon and it's just um it is on the daily you see it every day uh, over there. Um, you know, even for myself, in, in thinking about the anti-terror law now, um, just, you know, last fall and then earlier this year, uh, Biden USA has been, had been actively red-tagged by the government. Um, and and you know, we're used to trolls picking on us, you know, on Facebook. But this time, messages were being put up um, and issued by the undersecretary of um, the presidential communications office, um, labeling us as a terrorist front, uh, and then putting up pictures of the officers of Biden USA, including myself, and saying that we were um, terrorist mouthpieces or propagandists for um, terrorism. Uh, and uh, you know, even having pictures of us at protests here in the United States. And and I think, you know, some people may try to brush it off as, oh, you know, it's just uh, on Facebook. It's not really going to happen. But if you we know what is happening in the Philippines, um, when you have this kind of um, tagging, it leads to um, then real danger um, for people, yeah. you know, on mm-hmm. the street, like, what happened to Brandon. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't a- underestimate the, the kind of collusion between U.S. and Philippine government. Um, there's been that long history of collaboration. And so um, it's really mm-hmm. alarming to us here. Yeah. I mean, so, so speaking of um, Brandon, just getting, getting to the incident. So you were, you were, uh, you were shot in, in 2019. Um, 
were there signs leading up to it? Was the rhetoric getting more intense? Was there more repression on you and the people you were working with leading up to it? Um, what was the uh, what was what was sort of the the context of it? Like what was going on? Okay, so shortly after William Bugatti was killed, we were bombarded with weekly red tagging posts, like Rhonda has said. Uh, these uh, red tagging posts uh, linked us with the Communist Party of the Philippines and New People's Armies. And in 2015, I was given a death threat in the form of the Ifugao burial blanket for the dead with a grim poem that said, Gray May, June Gloom, No Sky July, which we took as a death threat. In 2016, up until my attempted, or the attempted assassination on my life, I was under constant surveillance. In 2017, I was pulled out of a bus in a joint military and police checkpoint. Lieutenant Maestrado of the police and Lieutenant Julius Ian Daklag of the Armed Forces of the Philippines asked for me specifically and illegally searched my bag under alleged credible intelligence that I had firearms in my possession. They found nothing to prove their claim. In 2017 to 2018, suspected military agents red-tagged my colleagues and I on flyers distributed all over several municipalities. On the flyers, they said that I was a recruiter of the New People's Armies in schools and that my wife was a contact for the New People's Army. And in 2019, after Executive Order 70 was signed by President Duterte, a national task force to end local communist armed conflict was created which uses the U.S. framework toward counterinsurgency, or known as whole the nation approach, which uses the civilian bureaucracy to try to deal with the armed conflict. But its operations are far from resolving the roots of the armed conflict. My colleagues and I were visited by the 54th Infantry Battalion in our office and homes. Lieutenant Carol J. Mendoza and Sergeant Joel Campiles of the 54th Infantry Battalion came to our office in the guise of wanting to partner with the Ifugao Peasant Movement. This ruse was easily discovered when they went to my colleagues' homes, telling them that the Ifugao Peasant Movement is a front organization of the Communist Party of the Philippines and the New People's Army. The soldiers from the 54th Infantry Battalion asked my colleagues, how much was I making? What is my role in the Ifugao Peasant Movement? Where's my whereabouts? What is my daughter's name? And what school does she go to? In June, the military's Northern Luzon Command placed Ifugao as the priority of the Oplan Kapanatagat, the Philippines' counterinsurgency plan in the Cordillera. Soldiers from the 54th Infantry Battalion came to my residence on July 30th, asking my family where I was and that they are seeking partnership with me. My family was not fooled as they knew the military was harassing me. 
That same day, I confronted soldiers in civilian clothing outside our office, asking me to meet with their boss for a partnership. They took a picture of me without my permission. A week later, on August 6, after bringing my niece and daughter home from school, I was shot in four places, rendering my body paralyzed. Um, I mean, first of all, I'm I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, I I, I know I'm obviously very familiar with your story, um, but you know, uh, hearing it, uh, you know, you tell it is is a uh, is, is an affecting experience. Um, what uh. Yeah, it seems to me pretty obvious. Like, I, I, I think to anybody who kind of hears, the, hears these stories, it's pretty obvious. Like, yeah, like the military is behind a lot of this, right? Like, the, I, I, you know, obviously there are a lot of people who are, you know, aligned with the military, maybe in paramilitary organizations, whatever. But it's like, it's, 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 it's clear that, like, yeah, the military is investigating you, the military is harassing you, the military is after you, the military are going to be the ones that 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 shoot you. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's another front on their war against um i mean well against working people in the philippines and, and peasantry but but in their in their maybe in their minds against the war against the npa or whatever that's why that's why they have to associate you with that um and uh and their military their 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 front just also extends to uh to civilians um i mean what was the uh you know if, if, if you want to answer if you don't like what was what was the aftermath though like, like what were you i mean you were taken to the hospital did, you, did they think you were going to die i know you went into cardiac arrest at one point or several points um what 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 ended up happening well after i was shot um i can remember my teeth were slowly falling out and i was barely audible um, it was hard to form words, even though I'm trying to talk. Uh, mm-hmm. My brother-in-law couldn't hear what I was saying. Um, I had asked him to call my wife uh, to let her know what happened and to call the Cordillera Human Rights Alliance to let them also know what's happening. And from there, uh, my brother-in-law and our neighbor was a relative brought me on their tricycle to the nearest hospital. They didn't have the capability to handle my case. They only um, removed my shirt. They cut it open and the same with my shorts. And they had bandaged me and they brought me on an ambulance to the next nearest hospital, which was around two hours away. Uh, They didn't have a neurosurgeon, so they weren't comfortable with handling my case. So they brought me to Baguio General Hospital, which was another five-hour drive. Jesus. And there, um, I remember the doctor who had um, received me. He asked um, my colleagues what happened, and I had told them it was the military. Yeah, And that's the last thing I remember before blacking out. And um, later, my wife and my family, who came to visit me from the U.S., uh, told me that I had a cardiac arrest. Jesus. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 for some reason, I think I didn't know you were, you were actually hit four times. Um, that's, uh, yeah, that is, I mean, it's, it's obvious that clearly they intended to kill you. 
I mean, that's that's sort of a stupid thing to say almost. I mean, we shot you a bunch of times. Um, you know, it's 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 to me, I, I remember when this happened. I mean, this didn't have this literally happened like almost exactly two years ago. I, I, I remember when this happened. Um, you know, you, you and I are both from San Francisco, you know, know, know a lot of the same people. Um, and this was, you know, this was a pretty big deal in the city uh, then. I mean, obviously, you know, Matt Haney came out and, and all that. But, you know, it was just, you know, it was, it was, a, it was just large news. Um, and I mean, I remember sort of being shocked because I, I don't know if we covered this earlier, but like you're not Filipino. You know, like you're, you're, you know, you're not from the Philippines, but nor are you Philip, you know, you're of, of any ethnicity from the Philippines either. Um, and I think that that may be, I remember being sort of surprised when I heard that too. I don't, I don't know why, um, but it, you know, I mean that, that it, I, I, to me that represented like a big leap for the Duterte regime, not that big of a leap, actually more like a, a medium sized step, but uh, you know, the, the. Famously, uh, you know, the government had been extrajudicially assassinating people. I can never pronounce that word, but extrajudicially assassinating people, um, basically, since it came into power. Um, but, but this was a specifically targeted attack against a um, against an American citizen, which is, you know, not to say that like American citizens' lives are worth more, or whatever. That's, but, but it does politically represent, um, you know, somewhat of a departure. Uh, it, and that's. Uh, you know, it's a Rhonda. I mean, you you you're you know you're a chair of a of a, of a you know national uh, you know di- diasporic and also I think in the country too organization. I mean, what was what was your guys's you know response to that? Like, how did you how did you guys view that? Yeah, we um, first, of course, being personal friends with Brandon, we were concerned about Brandon yeah. and his safety, uh, and we also saw it as um, this was the culmination of many years of Brandon um, writing to us and telling us there are these death threats against me. Um, There's this constant surveillance. There's this harassment of my family. And, um, you know, we knew that was happening to him. And every time he would tell us, he would always also tell us, it's not only happening to me, it's happening to my colleagues. It's happening to other um, uh, people in the indigenous community. It's happening to the workers, you know, on the picket lines in the Philippines. It's happening to, um, uh, you know, environmental defenders. It, in, you know, it was for Brandon, you know, being the selfless person that he is, it was never only about him, um, but him telling us that, um, you know, this is, you know, you personally know me, you know, I tell the truth, you know, look at my case and this is happening to so many other people. Please tell the world about it. Um, the the uh, Philippine government is, even before Duterte, has been notorious for this kind of thing. Under Duterte, it just heightened. Uh, and like you were saying, Brandon, pretty much from day one, he was um, starting to uh, wage this war on the poor uh, under, you know, calling it the war on drugs. And it resulted in upwards of 30,000 people um, being um, killed by the police just for supposedly using drugs, dealing drugs, um, you know, with no kind of due process. Uh, and then there became the the war on uh, terror um, and the war on activists. And it just uh, kind of extends from there, you know, with more people um, being caught in the crossfire uh, or, you know, just targeted um, by the government. Uh, so, yeah, what, what we thought was, um, you know, oh, my God, this happened 
to Brandon, and we have to step up our efforts um, in the United States to bring light to what's happening in the Philippines because the Philippine government is trying to um, uh, to hide it, um, trying to you know not spread the word. Or on the flip side, Duterte was bragging about it and saying, you know, I can get away with this, um, and you know, mm-hmm. who's going to stop me? Um, so uh, we just we knew that we had to step up our efforts to shine a light on it, to oppose it, to try and get more people to care, uh, and more people to try and put pressure on um, the Philippine government to stop its business as usual. Um, and so you know it's it's led to some efforts to try and cut off military aid to the Philippines, to try and you know diplomatically isolate Duterte, um, you know make him. Uh, you know, someone that people shouldn't do business with because he is um, targeting innocent people who are just trying to um, survive and have a a decent life um, in the Philippines. Brandon, we mentioned this a little bit already, but with the passage of the anti-terror law, do you think things like this will become more and more common? It already has. Yeah. As soon as the anti-terror law was passed, we have seen a major spike in killings and arrests. Again, the same style as what happened the night of my shooting. One such coordinated raids of several human rights defenders and indigenous peoples has been dubbed Bloody Sunday, leaving nine dead and four others arrested on trumped-up charges. These kinds of raids continue on this day. I have taken the lives of many journalists, community organizers, and land defenders. In the Cordillera region, my colleagues in the Cordillera People's Alliance were also threatened, harassed, and intimidated. The Philippine government has slapped fabricated cases of cyber libel, illegal possession of firearms, and even murder against indigenous leaders. The Cordillera chief of police even attempted to legalize the way they conducted the drug wars to activists and critics. So it's like what you were saying, Brace, with the Tokong. Um, They really wanted to do the same thing to activists. The drug war has led to 30,000 mostly urban poor killed. Yeah, I mean that's that's what sort of strikes me about this. I remember when the drug war stuff sort of started breaking the news here. It was like, look at this crazy thing they're doing in the Philippines. Like they're like, mm. you know, they're just like killing drug. I mean, at first it was it was almost presented like badass Duterte is fucking, you know, killing these meth dealers and like cleaning up yeah. the streets. Um somehow I don't think that there were 30,000 meth dealers uh that, you know, and 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 uh, I have a feeling that this did not exactly solve the problem, especially considering, you know, not to cyber libel anyone here or anything, especially considering uh, Duterte's own family's connections to uh, methamphetamine production and distribution uh, that, that I've read about. Certainly many in the, in the, in the government there uh, have similar sort of graphs going on. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's, it's, it seems so clear to me now is that, that, that they really sort of tested out, uh, these tactics on the uh, in, in the drug war and then have essentially exported them, which, mm-hmm. I mean, again, to be clear, 
the the government and armies of the Philippines throughout successive regimes have been fighting against you know indigenous peoples and and you know left wing organizations or you know worker peasant organizations uh, for decades and decades and decades. But now it's sort of like it's come to a sort of new iteration in the twenty first century. Um, and now you see COVID stuff as a as a um, justification. I've seen you know placing like mass quarantines and using that to like as the precursor or like, you know, supposed legal justification for more mass arrests and more like violations imposing what is basically like successive iterations of martial law. It seems it's like, I, I mean, it, it's um, any kind of state justification they can find. It seems they're just kind of, you know, grab what's available and, and run with it. Brandon, how has it been being back in America since all of this? How's your health been? Uh, obviously, moving back to America made practical sense for my safety and recovery. However, making the transition from the Philippines to the U.S. has been difficult for my family. For myself, it has been an uphill journey for my recovery and my life will never be the same again. Uh, today, I struggle with my quadriplegic condition, unable to use my hands or legs. With my spinal cord injury, I am continuously at risk of a compromised immune system. In addition to the physical disability, speaking and mental activities have become more difficult. Christ, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm really sorry to hear that. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I, I, I knew that, but it's, it's just been. I mean, I think that's what, that's what really gets to me about this too, is that like these, uh, you know, kind of leads us almost to the next question too, is like the people that shot you have not been caught, right? Like, I mean, has there been any sort of investigation into who did this? I mean, this is, you know, this was, this was a pretty big deal. This made international news. You know, there was people that you know, came out like politicians that came out to, you know, investigate or to bring attention to it. But Even was Nancy there Pelosi? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what, what? I mean, is and I know the answer to this already without you know having to even ask. But, but you know, is there any investigation? Are they any closer to catching the people that did this? Well, the Philippine Senate and House of Representatives have both passed resolutions condemning my attack and pushed for independent investigations, as of the the San Francisco Board of Supervisors did as well. And like you said, Nancy Pelosi made a tweet um, <laughs> condemning the attack yeah. and also asking the Philippines to investigate the killings. And in the Philippines, the Commission on Human Rights did start an investigation, but it's already two years and there's been no real progress. Uh, for them, the Commission on Human Rights say the military has been dragging its feet. They don't want to be investigated, so they don't entertain the interviews. Uh, during that time, the Philippine National Police 
also showed up at my home in Ifugao and said that they were investigating my shooting and asked my sister-in-law for my electronic devices like my cell phone and laptop. It's clear their real intents trying to cover up the shooting. When I was in the hospital, they actually tried to suggest that I was shot by one of my colleagues. I have no illusions that there would be no real investigation or prosecution under the Duterte regime. Our only real option to stop these killings and impunity is to continue the mass movement. And one of our calls is to stop funding the Philippine military and police. Yeah, R- Rhonda, could you could you uh, you know expand on that a little bit? I mean, what the you know Liz mentioned earlier is that the 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 U.S. you know engages in multi billion dollar arms sales to the Philippines, but we also you know we train and arm the Philippines military and police as well, right? Right. Yeah, and have been for a long time. There are these you know decades old military agreements between the two countries, um, mutual defense treaty, and these bases treaties over the years. What's called the visiting forces agreement now. All of these things um, pretty much uh, cement the the, um, the agreement of the U.S. and the Philippines to have joint training, um, joint exercises, uh, being able to uh, base, you know, quote unquote, base uh, U.S. troops uh, inside of Philippine bases. Um, that's one of the ways they skirt around the sticky issue of. Um, Foreign yeah. bases being illegal on foreign uh, on Philippine soil, so they just have the U.S. troops occupy Philippine bases instead. Um, and these agreements also allow the U.S. ships and planes and other things to be able to use even civilian uh, areas uh, for their um, for their storage or presence. Um, and then there's, of course, like the whole um, advising of Philippine military um, that takes place um, and sharing of intelligence and things like that. So, you know, that, that relationship has been cemented by these um, longstanding treaties. And so, you know, in, in Bind USA's view, the U.S. cannot claim any kind of innocence in this whole thing. The Philippine military is committing these atrocities against people, uh, people like Brandon, and they're being advised in counterinsurgency strategies by the U.S. Um, and they're being supplied arms. They're being supplied, um, yes, arms and training by the U.S. So um, the U.S. is, you know, at at the very least, complicit, uh, and you know, in some ways, uh, very much responsible uh, for the kinds of um, military operations being conducted against activists uh, in the Philippines, and you know, just against ordinary people standing up for their rights. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me so much of how in in the fifties, the uh, the U.S. Army and the CIA, or sort of. Yeah, yeah, the CIA uh, and special operations, these sort of proto-special operations groups trained in the Philippines, essentially, on the on the hooks and on the, uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce the full name, don't, even if someone tells it to me, I can't repeat it. Uh, but, uh, it, and, 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 and obviously the peasantry as well. I mean, there's the famous story of Ed Lansdale sort of developing his whole like theory of psychological warfare, mm-hmm. essentially by draining the, you know, the blood out of Filipino, uh, you know, either guerrillas or most likely just peasants, uh, and, you know, hanging, it's, you know, it's, it's an insane sort of, um, 
history that the America and the Filipino mi- military has has together. Uh, and uh, and it's like we train and learn those tactics over there, and then use them, uh, you know, just just across in in Vietnam shortly after. And now, you know, these these tactics with the war on terror, these you know re- even more refined counterinsurgency tactics. Are I mean it, you know in, in the case of Brandon I mean it comes literally home to San Francisco um, and 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 you know ex, ex reimporting them ex, I mean at this point I don't even know how to, if it's import or export it's just there it's fully globalized yes yeah yeah um, I mean it's just it's just it's it's sort of it's sort of astounding um, and you know they're, they're they're you know speaking of too even the 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 guerrilla war there you know they've been they've been killing. Um, you know, peace mediators, um, you know, negotiators in the peace process between the NPA and the, uh, sorry, the ice cream truck is passing by. I assure you, I did not add those sound effects in. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, you know, the, the, the same sort of like extrajudicial assassinations. I don't even know why I have to call them. I, all assassinations I think are extrajudicial. I know it feels it's, that's very the, odd to keep repeating that, but it's almost like you want to drive home how, yeah. you know, outside the bounds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. I also can't pronounce judicial, so it. I will stop saying <laughs> that. Um, but yeah, like killing, you know, killing, killing people who are supposed to be literally involved in the peace process. I mean, people who are essentially, you know, domestic diplomats. Um, I mean, that's like, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, speaking to you guys as, as activists and people who have friends over there, like, it, you know, it, 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 you know, must be kind of a, a you know, frightening time to engage in this movement and in, in the in the in the mass work that you do. Frightening, but, um, you know, I can't imagine not doing it, you know, knowing that um, the people that um, are living there on the front lines, you know, have to face this kind of um, harassment, uh, violence, all those things, you know, on a daily basis. Uh, And in a lot of ways, they have no choice, right? The choice is poverty and starvation, you know, loss of their land and livelihood, or standing up and fighting back. And, you know, you, that is so courageous to me and, um, you know, an example for all of us to follow. Um, and, um, you know, as, you know, Bayern USA, we can't imagine um, stopping, you know, even though the, the arm of <laughs> the Philippine government has, you know, reached over to the United States in the harassment of us, the red tagging of us, um, we still have... Um, the ability to speak from here. Um, that ability has been taken away from so many others, you know, through these assassinations. And so we have a responsibility to continue it. Um, and, you know, in our view, anyone in the United States who um, cares about human rights um, and doesn't think the U.S. should be supporting this um, kind of um, uh terror on, you know, Philippine citizens by its own government <laughs> should also, you know, be involved in the the movement to try and stop it um, through one, um, there's, you know, one campaign that's being waged. And, you know, I think Brandon can also speak to this a little bit more is um, uh, a campaign to um, pass the Philippine Human Rights Act, uh, which would end U.S. support uh, and military aid to the Duterte regime. Yes, um, in the U.S., the International Coalition for Human Rights in the Philippines, U.S. chapter, along with Kapitan Alliance and the Malaya Movement, are pushing for the passage of the Philippine Human Rights Act. It will suspend U.S. military aid to the Philippines 
until human rights violations end and parties responsible are held accountable, including the attack on my life, as well as all other victims. And then people and organizations here in the U.S. can also join iChirp's Solidarity Network to help pass the bill or connect with a local uh, Committee on Human Rights of the Philippines. I continue to be involved with the iChirp work, and we recognize the role of the United States in upholding oppression and exploitation in the Philippines. We have the responsibility to hold the U.S. accountable through our solidarity with the Filipino people, and we have the opportunity to support their rich history of struggle for self-determination by joining the global movement against their exploitation and oppression. Yeah, thank you guys. It's been it's been such a pleasure having you on. We got we got to wrap up, but uh, Brandon, I wanted to ask too, just on like a personal note, what kind of like I mean, you know, you you, you came back here, you can no longer, I assume, really work much. Um, you know, you you're you're you know you're confined to a wheelchair. What what sort of challenges are you facing just in like day to day life living in America? Like what what sort of resources do you need? What you know? Can you can you you know talk about that for a second? Um, I have my support group here, and they have been doing fundraisers for me. Um, it really takes of for my care a, re- a mass movement. Um, that they help uh, with my political education still. Um, But for my physical disability, um, it has been hard because I'm limited in what I can do when I'm not in the wheelchair. I'm in bed for around 12 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah, I know you were. I know you were looking for ADA compliant uh, new housing as well, which yes. is in San Francisco. I can imagine is the most brutal possible uh, place to find that too. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, it's been it's been a real pleasure. Um, I mean, it's actually been really heartbreaking, but it's been good to hear uh, to 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 hear what both of you had to say. Um, and yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us on. So we're gonna put put uh, links down in the uh, in the description. Of this I was actually I probably I, we know what we're not journalists, so I don't have to do this to be clear. Um, but uh, but I was I was a subcommissioner on, on one of the reports um, that uh, uh, or one of the hearings that led to one of the reports that we'll be linking the second one. Um, and uh, so I, I heard testimony firsthand, um, or rather, you know, in in uh, you know on on the computer, but live. Uh, 
of people whose you know whose families uh, had been executed by uh, by by the government. Um, you know who people who had been kidnapped, people who had had their churches ransacked, you know, and 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 burned down, and and, and all the funds stolen. Um, and uh, you know it is uh, it it is just incredible the uh, the how the mass movement has has really um, you know kept going through all of this mm. and is still you know as you can see like even you know Brandon. I mean, something that's, that's really impressive to me about that is Brandon was was shot for this and is still like, you know, I, you know, is still going to political meetings and still, you know, still fully engaged in this. Yeah, incredibly resilient, incredibly committed, incredibly phenomenally organized. Just a really, um, I don't know. Yeah, so I'm like a little speechless right now. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say, you know, I did want to, you know, for any of our new listeners out there who haven't heard, we did a an interview with Vincent Bevins last year yeah. about his book, the Jakarta method. And it might be worth linking to that episode. If you guys haven't listened to that, we go in depth into his book, which is great, but we do talk a, a lot about some of the stuff that Brace mentioned in the show and the different, um, not, you know, specifically with the Duterte regime, but um, specific, you know, but more specifically the history with the U S and the Philippine government. Um, and the kind of, you know, um, the, the kind of uh, different sort of testing grounds of, of yeah. kind of counterinsurgency and terror tactics that the Duterte regime has, has perfected for sure. Yeah. So we should yeah. link to that. Absolutely. Good idea. Um, well, let's close this out. Uh, my name is Brace. I'm Liz. We are, as always, joined by producer Young Chomsky. You've been listening to Truanon, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.